I want to know the truth. This world offers me more confusion than answers. What does it mean to live in truth and follow Jesus? Who is he calling us to be? He has given us his word to find exactly what we are looking for. He is what we need. So guys, over the last uh, five weeks, we've been talking about what is. And we started a series October 8th on what is truth and living in a culture of postmodernism where there's so many different thought processes that are happening. We've established that we need to know what does God say regarding truth? What is biblical truth? And we talked about what is God's design versus what is man's desire. And so we've looked at what is a man. We've looked at what is a woman. And Kara did an incredible job last week breaking that down. Come on, give it up for Kara. Incredible job. Amen. But today I want to look at what is God's design for marriage. What does God have to say about marriage? I have a confession to make to you. I hate buying things that have these words written on the box. Some assembly required. <laughs> if you're like me, you don't read the directions very well until it's too late. I mean, I see people over there tapping right now. I mean, uh, like, you, you hear this? Because something inside of us, our pride tells us, I'll figure it out. And then we've got all these leftover screws and all these leftover pieces, and it's like, I don't know if I put that together right. The interesting thing is marriage comes with a hidden label that says much assembly required. It takes work. It takes patience. It takes perseverance if you're going to have a godly marriage that flourishes. And reality is, some of us dove into this marriage piece without ever reading the instruction manual. And a lot of the problems that we have in marriage is a result of we didn't read, we didn't follow, and we didn't obey what God had to say. Many of us just assumed that we would just figure it out along the way, and it doesn't work out too well. Let me say this to you. Marriage was designed by God in the beginning. It was the only human institution that was inaugurated by God before sin, before the fall of man. So when you see that, the uniting of a man and a woman coming together, it is holy. Marriage is sacred. It is a covenant relationship that you're making for life. So we're actually, as a believer, you would say, I'm in two covenant relationships. I'm in a covenant relationship with God. I am in a covenant relationship with Barb, that's the only covenant relationships that I'm in. Marriage is designed by God for the glory of God. That's why God designed it. 
Genesis 2, 18 through 25, I'll stay there today, but when we evaluate and read and study this text, we read God's design that includes his reason for designing marriage, as well as principles that will allow us to honor him, as well as principles that will allow us to flourish and have a joyful marriage. In Genesis chapter 1, if you are a student of scripture, I find this very, very fascinating. In Genesis chapter 1, God is referred to as Elohim. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without void. And then God spoke. In Genesis 1, every time we read God, we're talking about Elohim, and we're talking about the powerful creator. That's what the word Elohim. He is our powerful creator, the engineer of all things. He opened his mouth and spoke the world, worlds into existence through words. In Genesis 2, he's referred to as the Lord Yahweh God. And the word Yah- Yahweh there, God emphasizes that he is a covenant-keeping God. Every time we read in Genesis 2, he is a covenant-keeping God that makes covenant with his people. So the powerful creator is a personal and relational God with the creation that he has created, that being us and humanity. You look at marriage. God designed marriage to meet the human need of companionship. That is a very premise statement that we would make in Scripture. Genesis 2.18, it's the first time we read this phrase. It is not good for man to be alone. Remember, six or seven times throughout Genesis 1, we read, and God said, let there be light, and it was good, and God said, and it was good. Now we get here, and God goes, it's not good for man to be alone. Now, it's crazy because Adam is a sinless man in perfect harmony, intimacy with God, living in a perfect environment. But God goes, you, you don't need to be alone. You don't need to be isolated. It's not good. You need human companionship that is capable of responding to you in such a way that would meet your needs as well as bring glory to me. It's like, all right, that, that, that's, that's not good for man to be alone. So a premise would be God has designed us and created us, one, to have fellowship with him, but God has designed us to be married with a person of opposite sex, intentionally male and female, and to be fruitful and reproduce new life. That's what he said in Genesis, be fruitful and multiply. Why? For the glory of God. I want to break this down. Listen to me. It takes three to have a good marriage. It takes God with man and with woman. Now, here's what I want you to see. It takes three to have a solid marriage that's going to flourish. So no matter where you're at in this journey, whether you're married, whether you're dating, whether you're like little Madison got married last night who is on staff with us. It's so beautiful to see little Maddie getting married and all this. Here's the way this thing works. Madison, you're going to be getting married soon. Here's the way this thing works. Male, female, God, 
the closer I become to God and my walk with God, and the closer Barb is in her walk with God. It's so simple. The closer we get to each other. You want a marriage that flourishes? It's mutual submission. Ephesians 5, 21 says that. A man pursuing God, yielding to God, surrendering to God, following the Lord. A woman yielded to God, surrendered to God, following the Lord. Because the closer in proximity I am spiritually in my heart to God, the closer we're going to be to each other. Here's the second slide. Check it out. I'm getting ahead of myself, but I want to go ahead and, and deal with this as well. So for a man, husband, entering into a relationship, this is so important. For a guy, a guy's deepest need inside of his heart is he's longing for significance. Do I have what it takes to be a man? Am I significant? A woman, her greatest need is to feel security. Now watch this. Hannah, you're my girl. There's other young ones in here. One day, one day, realize this. Every boy growing up asking one question, do I have what it takes to be a man? Every little girl growing up asking one question, am I worth fighting for? Watch how this plays out. So the man, if he's walking with the Lord and he's finding his significance in Christ, God has called us as men to love sacrificially. Love your wives like Christ loved the church who gave himself up for the church. So God goes, here's the deal. You're growing. You're submitting to me. Now, your significance is found in who you are in me. Yes, I want you to sacrificially love your wife. As a result of doing that, guess what you're going to do? You're going to fight for her. You're going to fight for her and tell her, you're worth fighting for. I want to be the priest and prophet and protector and provider in this home, you're worth fighting for. And then guess what we're going to do? How can I serve her? Kara made this statement last week, and it was so beautiful, that the goal should be, man, we should desire to outserve the other person. Now watch what happens. I'm, I promise you this. As you, Guy, find your significance in Christ and as you sacrificially love and you fight for her and serve her, she's going to feel secure. But her security is not coming from you. Her security is coming from who she is in Christ. But then she's like looking at you going, look at you. You fight for me. You serve me. You, you're, my, you're there to protect me. You provide. I know you're getting all your strength from the Lord. I, I want to submit to you. That's the reason submission is not a dirty word when it's done the right way and guys are loving Christ and loving their wife. I want to submit. And guess what she ends up doing? I, I, I know that you want to believe you've got what it takes to be a man. I believe in you. I will follow you. That's the design. And we've moved so far as a culture away from God's design. Getting ahead of myself. When Adam and Eve disobeyed God and sin entered into the equation, they experienced alienation from 
with, with, with God and with each other. And what did homeboy do right out of the gate? He blamed the woman. Where, where, where are you? I'm hiding. Why are you hiding? Because the woman you gave me. So he just went ahead and double dipped in the statement and just said, that woman oh, that you gave me, that's the reason I'm hiding. Come on, man, man up. Take responsibility. Here's a statement I would make to you. Broken marriages always involve at least one person moving away from God. Broken marriages, marriages that become crippled, and we've talked through this with our friends. It always involves at least one of them moving away from God. Why? Because the foundation of having a strong marriage that flourishes is all about your daily walk, daily dependence, and daily surrender to Christ. It's crucial. We're talking about God's design for marriage. God said, I'm going to make a helper suitable for Adam. I'm going to make you a helper. As Kara, again, said last week, broke it down. Helper is a word of dignity and strength. The Hebrew word for helper was when God would rescue those that were in distress. So the word helper is such a powerful word. I mean, if you missed last week, go back and listen. She broke it down like a champ. But it is a portrait, it's a strength word, a dignity word of God rescuing, saving those that are in distress. It was also used when they needed military assistance. We're going to send help. We're going to strengthen the forces in the army. What, what is God saying? I'm going to make you a helper because you are going to need and you're going to benefit. And this is going to really be support for you. I'm sending you help. Don't miss it. I'm not sending her to you so that y'all will compete with one another. Matter of fact, I'm not even going to send her to you so that y'all will complete one another. I'm going to send her to you as you find your completion in me that y'all are going to compliment one another. She is going to compliment you, Tim. She's not your rival. She is a helper. You're in distress, homie, on your own, bro. I'm sending you aid. Now, y'all with me? God's design. God formed Adam from dirt. He fashioned Eve from Adam's side. I'll get to that fashion here. Formed Adam from dirt, fashioned Eve from Adam's side. Ephesians 5 says a man, a man is to cherish his wife as he does his own flesh, as he does his own body. When you step into this, I'm going to cherish her just like I do my own flesh. Why would you say that? Because Eve was birthed from Adam's flesh. She was literally part of his body, part of his flesh. She was part of who he was. Eve was not taken out of Adam's head to rule over him. And she was not taken Adam out of Adam's feet so that he would rule over and step on her. She was taken from his side so that he would keep her close to his heart. When you read the literal Hebrew, it doesn't use the word rib. It literally uses the word from his side. Adam's side 
was wounded. And God took from Adam's side his bride so that she would be close to his heart. I personally believe it was his left side to say, I need you to protect my heart. I need you near my heart. God wounded the side of Adam and birthed his bride. When Jesus later would hang on the cross after being brutally beaten, after walking the Via Della Rosa with the crown of the thorns and beaten, God allowed his beloved son's side to be wounded when the spear was thrust through that he would birth the bride of Christ, the church. It's powerful. I'm reading it this week going, it was through his side, the blood and water, bam, exploding from him that his bride would be birthed, that he would give up who he is. And we see that portrait in Genesis. I'm going to put you to sleep. The angel of anesthesiology comes into the Garden of Eden, put you to sleep. My Bible says rib. Well, if it was a rib, it was not his spare rib. It was his prime rib, but it was more of his side. And the scripture said God fashioned, fashioned from his side a woman. The word fashioned literally means built by God and sculpted by God. She was built by God. She was sculpted by God. So in the purest sense, Eve was well built. As Lionel would say, she was probably a brick. (laughs) Beautiful house. Look at her. Carefully, uniquely shaped into this beautiful woman and brought to Adam as a helper. Rescue you. By your side. You see why marriage is so beautiful when we step into a covenant? Do you see the portrait that God has laid out? And then even verse 22 says, God brought Eve to Adam. Here she is. And Adam looks up and sees her. Whoa, man. And she wasn't in a wedding dress. She was. As the rednecks in the south would say, she was naked, brother. That's what the text reads. Genesis 2.25 says, And the man, Ish, and his wife, Isha, they were both naked and felt no shame. I told Barb when we first got married, that is my favorite verse in the Bible. (laughs) And she told me to grow up. (laughs) But Rick, I believe that when God brought Eve To Adam, I don't know if everything's totally included, but I believe he was like, "Woo, glory, hallelujah. (laughs) You're right. It was not good for me to be alone. But she was a part of him. And his name, Ish, woman, Isha, means out of 
Man, so God brings this incredible, beautiful gift to Adam to meet his deepest need. Watch this. And verse 24 says, for this reason. It goes on to say, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave together with his wife, and the two shall become one. For this reason, because of how God has designed marriage, because the woman is bone of bone and flesh of flesh, this is the truth that holds for all marriages that will ever be. When you see her, bone of bone, flesh of flesh, taken, wounded, bro, you need her by your side. She's here to be a help. She's going to help rescue a man, a man, not a little boy, not one in stranded adolescence, but a man must leave his father and mother in order to cleave to his wife and they become one flesh. A real man needs enough maturity. Y'all need to listen to this. Y'all need to listen to this. A real man needs enough maturity to break away from his dependence on his parents if he's going to enter in to true marriage. I've seen dudes at times, oh, we want to get married. Homie, your mama still ain't cut the cord and you're 29 years old. You got to grow up. Your dependence has got to be on the Lord, and if you're going to enter into a covenant relationship, you've got to understand that this relationship that you're about to walk into has got to be primary. It has got to be the one of utmost importance. Listen to me, and this is where parents and families hijack it even today. The covenant relationship that Barb and I are in is the most important relationship on the horizontal here on this planet that I am in. It is not the relationship that we have with our kids. We love our children. Hannah, I love you. But I am in a primary covenant relationship with your mom. So when you bow up at your mom, that's the reason I come at you and say, hey, it's not that you will not talk to your mom that way. I say, you're not talking to my wife that way. Because we are bone of bone and flesh of flesh. I've seen so many people allow the children to take priority, a job to take priority. Parents need to raise their children with a view of releasing their children. Hey, as arrows in the hand of a warrior, bam, I'm releasing you into the world. Okay? You're, you're not primary. I love you. God has called mom and I to train you up in the way you should go to create a thirst in your mouth for the God-given unique DNA that he has placed inside of you. He's called us to steward you, to raise you up, but to send you out into the world. And I'm like, mm-hmm. And if a married couple builds their marriage around their children, they're opening themselves up for all kinds of problems. God never designed it that way. Do you love your children? Yes. Do you love your grandchildren? Yes. But when you build your marriage around your children, here's the problem. One, you're violating the covenant in areas, but it's not helping the kids. It's not good for them. If love is doing that which is most redemptive for the other person, as we raise our children, stop. Depend on God. Trust God. I mean, store gay. I know you need me now. 
one of the four loves. But storge is that I got to release you if I'm a true lover. But so many parents flip it upside down and need their kids to validate them and need them because their worth is found. It doesn't work. The best way to be a good parent to your child is for you, Drew and Teresa, to radically love each other. The best gift I can give my kids is to love God and love Barb. The best gift that Barb would ever give our children is to love God and truly love me. So marriage is primary, but it's also permanent. Don't miss this. It's permanent. The word cleave, for this reason a man shall leave and cleave. Vic, the word cleave is like skin to the bones. The word cleave literally means to be glued together. So when you cleave, you're getting stuck together. We're coming together. We're stuck together in this thing. Jesus said, even quoting some of the Old Testament truth in Matthew 19, he who created them from the beginning made them male and female. And he said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined together with his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. They are no longer two, but one. What God joins together, let no one separate. So when I talk about it being permanent, marriage, a marriage that's going to flourish, must be built on commitment, not on feelings. You got me. It is a resolve. Feelings come and go. Romantic love comes and goes, but the foundation of a healthy, flourishing marriage is a commitment of the will saying, hey, we're in it. We're, we're, we're in this thing for life. When you are committed and you have a resolve of the permanency of what marriage is, it will hold you together when the difficult times of life come your way. You're going to have difficulty. You're going to do some things at times, and you're going to create a little tension. But if you're really for each other and believing in each other and you're serving each other and you're heading toward the Lord, I know from personal experience that sometimes your kids can drive you freaking crazy. When I started pastoring, I had a head full of hair, all the same color. And people, when they say, man... That kid right there makes me want to pull my hair out. It just fell out. It's like, dude, you, you've been yanking on me too long. I'm gone. But kids, man, I'm telling you, you can go through difficult challenges. And, and, and finances, uh, finances inside the marriage can get tough at times. And, and dealing with in-laws and outlaws or whatever you want to call them, it can get challenging. And, and health issues. And if you don't have this deep resolve, Dallas, it's like, we got to stay in here and fight together and blending families together. I mean, you've told me, man, no, you're not going to do anything to separate us. It was crazy at times. It was a fight, but we're in this thing together. And I'm like, yes. Why? Because it's primary and it's permanent. But it all also must be, listen, listen, exclusive. The text says to his wife. Not to his wives. One man, one woman for life. That's God's design. Now, a lot of us got to where we're here uh, at today 
with, with, with some different routes. But once you enter into this, you go, that first one was shaky, man. The dude left me. Back to what I said before. Usually marriages fall apart because one person is not being faithful to God and they're walking away from God. We've seen that in our own families and in, in, in our own lives. And so when I talk to you about the exclusive piece here, no matter how you got to where you're at, here's what I would say. When you get married, young guy, I'm about to get married, you must, you better write this one down, you must eliminate those emotional, close relationships with other women. I've seen some dudes get married and they've still got these deep emotional ties to other ladies. It's like, I'm a one-woman man, i got to break that off. But we had such a friendship. Yeah, it was jacked up anyway. Uh, we got to break that one off. We gotta, we've got to walk together where we're together in this thing. Also, guys, when you get married, you, you, you got to give up the right of just feeling like you can go out with the boys whenever you want to. Oh, we're just going out to have a beer tonight. Watch a ball game. We're going to play golf. We're going hunting. We're going, we're going, we're going. You better grow up. If you're not ready... To resolve that we're in this thing together. I'm not saying you can't go have fun. I'm not saying you can't tee it up at times. But some guys are constantly gone and they're not working on their marriage. If you're, if you're not ready to be exclusive in your relationship with your bride-to-be or your wife, you're not mature enough to get married. It ain't going to work. Companionship. Let me go on and hit this one since I'm here. Y'all need to listen. I'm going to try to keep this as age-friendly as I can right here. Companionship also means that marriage will be intimate. There you go. They shall become one flesh. Now, let me, let me break this down for you. One flesh does emphasize the sexual union. But true intimacy is more than just the sexual union. It's more than just the physical. It's relational. It's emotional. It's communication. It's friendship. It's becoming one. So when you look at the two becoming one, this emphasizes way more than just the physical, sexual union. And as a result of that, I can promise you that most sexual problems in a marriage stem from a failure of complete intimacy. It's like, you're not listening, you're not loving, you're not serving, you're not caring, you're not relational, you're not intentional. You, you don't have any meaningful communication. You're not pursuing your heart. It's like, I don't know what's going on, dude. I'm like, what do you mean you don't know what's going on? When Barb and I lived in Indiana, I remember this guy, our neighbor, we had only been married a short period of time, and he, he was an old military, I mean, he's probably 30. 34 years old, right? But he walks out there one day and he's got on his old camo. I bought it at a truck stop hat. And I was like, that's what his hat was. And so he walks over and he's like, hey, Cash, what's up? And I was like, how are you doing? And written across his hat was, I'm married to a nun, none in the morning, none at night. And I'm like, <laughs> was that not on his hat? And I'll never forget reading that. I'm like, well, if that is true, how are you treating her relationally, in conversation, mentally, etc.? Because intimacy is birthed, listen, listen, with a foundation of growing in trust, 
openness, authenticity, transparency, not hiding, not covering. It's way more. True intimacy is so much more than just the sexual aspect. And sin hinders intimacy. I know this. I've watched it unfold. As soon as Adam and Eve sinned and they recognized were exposed with their nakedness, they hid. Not only did they hide from God, but they hid from one another. And as soon as they hid, it started to kill true intimacy. We're hiding, we're covering, we're withholding, we're not disclosing. And we must work daily at being open with each other, being honest with humility I mean, I'm telling you, this is God's design for marriage. Be, be, don't hide. Don't lie. Don't cover. Don't do your own thing. Y'all are one. And when we do it that way, godly marriages are such a strong witness of the glory of God and the goodness of God. Just like Christ loves the church. we love. How did Christ love the church? It's a beautiful portrait of what true agape is. So when we're in love with each other, we're in love with each other because we choose to love each other. It's such a great witness to the world, right? It's hard to have a strong witness to the world when your marriage is falling apart and you don't love each other and trust each other and respect each other. Because God designed marriage to reflect our relationship with him. That's what he says. Just as Christ loved the church. So husbands love your wife. One other thing as I'm thinking about that. Just like the marriage can result in children, and Kara talked about that last week, that some women, you know, just can't, they, they, they can't conceive, they can't get pregnant. But just like a marriage can lead to conceiving and giving birth to children, we go, what a beautiful thing. God allowed us to have children. Our relationship with Christ should give birth to us sharing our faith and seeing lost people saved. And when you're able to do that in marriage together, like whether it's a small group that Barb and I might do or the counseling over the years or the one-on-one conversations that we've been able to have with people, Do you know how beautiful it is to be able to see people respond to the gospel and do that together? And people look and go, all right, what did y'all do? Like, what do you mean, what did we do? It seems that you've got a a pretty healthy marriage. Yeah, we don't have a perfect one because she's married to me. Amen? Now, let me say this in in closing. Does that make sense on God's design? You You see what God lays out for us in Genesis 2? This is so important, right, Sandy? All right, now let me say this. this is, and I want you to hear this. If you're single, and I, I was looking at one of the ladies in our church. Uh, she, she's single again, Cindy. But she, this woman is so, so unique with her ability to influence and impact that next generation. I, I was looking at her in the first service. I said, Now, if you're single and you're content to be single, then use your single status and secure a life of devotion and dependence on the Lord in such a beautiful way where that you can then yield yourself to walking with God and and, and taking those assignments to influence other people. Paul said even in 1 Corinthians 7, I wish 
that you were single like me. Well, great. Not everybody has that call on their life. But there's some people that get to a place in life going, I just feel like I'm content with being single. Okay, cool. But live it out for the glory of God. If you're single, and again, Carrie had this last week, but you have a desire to be married, keep growing in your godliness. Keep growing in purity. Keep growing in those areas of sanctifying your life to the Lord and pray for that mate. Don't, don't put a name on him yet. Pray for that mate, whoever it is, that he is living a life, Hannah, that is sanctified, yielded, sold out, and surrendered to the Lord, whoever. But you, 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 you sanctify your life so that you want that in a mate. If you're married to an unbeliever, this is an interesting one. Regarding marriage, if you're married to an unbeliever, based on 1 Peter 3, 1 through 7, God's word basically is this, hey, win your spouse to the Lord without beating them over the head with a Bible, but do it with godly character and godly behavior. Hey, hey, I'm married to an unbeliever, all right, we're both unbelievers when we got saved, okay, but I came to faith. Don't beat them over the head with a Bible. That don't work for anybody. But through your godly character and your godly behavior, show yourself as an example. That, that's what God tells us in Scripture. If you're married, here's the question. Are we growing deeper in our companionship with one another? I mean, here it's almost 33 years, so I look and go, okay, we're married. Are we still growing together? Are we loving each other? Are we trusting each other? Do we genuinely have each other's back and want to see each other flourish in life? Or are we growing? And I pray that we are, you know. Is your marriage growing in such a way that it really reflects Christ? That's our heart's desire. There's this pleasure-seeking, self-seeking world looking. I'm like, and it doesn't matter how old you are. It's like, look, look at them. They reflect Christ. They love God. They genuinely love each other. They, they want to they wanna walk with the, God, with the Lord. They want to keep growing their marriage. So I, even talking to Benji this morning, I'm like, cool, y'all been married about six years or whatever it is, 33, 13, whatever the numbers are. It's like it doesn't matter how long. Are you growing together? Are you reflecting that? Are you cherishing each other? Are you serving each other? And I'm telling you, there is not a marriage that flourishes that's on autopilot. You, you can't just say, you know what? We've been married, man, 30 years. I've hit cruise control, and I am just chilling. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't matter if you've been married one day or 51 years. You still have to give it attention, and it still requires work. And by God's grace and your commitment, I'm telling you, you can have a marriage that really honors God. All of them are going to look a little different because we're all different. But when we pull together and all that, it makes such a difference. Do you get God's design? Don't allow the world to give you 
a design of what marriage looks like. Go back to the blueprint. Mama Kay, come on. Doesn't matter if we're 60, 88, ever how old we are. It's like, that's God's blueprint. It didn't change. God's truth is objective, and it means this. It's true for all people, of all places, for all times. So that's the blueprint. It fits Hunter, and it fits Tim, and it fits Chad, and it fits Terry, and it fits, and it fits. It fits all of us. Are you flourishing if you're married? Are you flourishing in your marriage and really growing? Are you? And, and if not, let us help you. There's some next steps that you can take. We want to see you for us. Chad and Elaine have such a passion for that. There's other couples in here. I mean, you guys, Joseph, I mean, y'all want to help people. I mean, that's what you're doing right now, almost an intensive thing. I love what y'all are doing, right? And we want to see people get it. You need prayer today? You guys, even when we move into the prayer time, y'all be here. Chad, you're singing. Elaine can be here. But it's like, hey, I need prayer, man. Our marriage is hanging on by a thread. Or I've hijacked the way we're doing marriage, and I need prayer. Let us pray with you today. Let us help point you toward that next step.